0: Let's pray before we look at that text together. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it is living and active and that it uh, pierces our hearts and it reveals uh, who you are to us. We pray this morning that as we ponder the resurrection and what that means for us, that uh, I pray that those that are clinging to that, the hope that we have in the resurrection, that you would show them more deeply what it means, that you would press it further into their hearts. I pray for those that maybe are skeptical, that maybe have questions about the resurrection, that you would open their eyes to see the reality and the beauty of what it means for us. And uh, we pray this morning that your spirit would move in this place, that you would lead us and guide us in our time, because as we we often confess, we are hopelessly lost without you doing so. So we need you in this place to move and to, to guide and to lead and to apply this to our hearts and our minds. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I didn't have time. I was I was out of town. Uh, a lot of, you know, we went to Canada this week, and so I didn't get the, the title of the sermon here in, in time. And so it just says the text in there. But really, the title that I came up with and was thinking about this week is it all hinges on the resurrection. It all hinges on the resurrection. And as I was thinking about that, you know, uh, uh, the, today in our world and, and modern scholarship and and even making its way into a lot of churches, uh, we've kind of gone the opposite way. Uh, what you 'll hear a lot of times, and I was reading different quotes and things this week from from some modern scholars and some different people is you'll you 'll get this idea that the resurrection may or it may not have happened, and it doesn 't really matter and, and i 've heard that uh, frequently in, in recent years, and, and it goes something like uh, maybe Jesus did, maybe didn't, but the important thing is that Jesus came and he showed us how to live. And he laid his life down for us, and he gave us this wonderful example, and all these things that he did, and it's and it's a beautiful picture. And even if he didn't bodily raise, he lives in our hearts, and and what he represented lives and is still alive today. And so that's all that matters. And so uh, actually, there was one quote. I was reading an article just uh, yesterday, and this this. Uh, 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 scholar, uh, I use that term loosely, but scholar said uh, theology is really just poetry that speaks to our imagination and it can go in all different ways and mean all different things. And so I say that just to say, because in a lot of ways, that's what Paul was dealing with in, in a little different tone, but dealing with similar uh, attacks and ideas in Corinth when he was writing this letter. And Paul basically says the exact opposite of that. Uh, As we just read just a minute ago, Paul says that uh, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then this is a huge waste of time. Basically, what Paul says, if we put it in today's language, is you should have slept in today if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, because there's really no reason to be here, That, that we should be pitied and that our faith is futile. And he says our faith is in vain. And so he says these things. And so that's really what I want us to think about and think on this morning, why he says that why Paul says it in such these grand terms, that this is a waste of time and we should be pitied if he hasn't been raised. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. This, this idea of, of the resurrection and why it all hinges on the resurrection. And so as we set the scene, you know, we've been in first Corinthians for a while now, we're almost to five months in first Corinthians. We're probably going to finish next week, maybe, maybe, I'm never sure exactly when we'll finish, but I think we may finish next week. And so but, but one what we've been talking about over and over is that the church in Corinth had a lot of issues in the church and different things. And so as you read through the book, Paul's addressing all these different things and the things they're getting wrong and the things they're kind of off on. And he, and he keeps going back to these different ones. And, w- and what we get this morning is he goes right at this idea that the resurrection uh, may not have happened. And that it crept into the church. You see it in verse 12. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so uh, for different reasons than we would have today, oftentimes we think uh, the people in Paul's day just bought the resurrection. Oh, Jesus is raised and everybody went okay, And they were real gullible and they just went along with it. They had just as much reason to disbelieve resurrection as we do today. It's just for different reasons. You know, today we would say, oh, the resurrection couldn't have happened because we know from science people don't come back to life. Right. And that's kind of the way our thinking goes in our modern view. Well, in Paul's, day it was different. Their philosophy of life was such that, that the earthly, the physical, what we have here in this, we want to die to escape and get away from this. Like it's dirty and it's gross and we need to get away and we ascend on to higher things. And so the idea of of Christianity, when it first started to come and as Jesus raised from the dead and it was proclaimed, the idea that God came down into this world and took on a body and then he lived and then he died and then he came back into a body was absurd. Everybody would look at that and go, that is crazy. Why would anyone want to come back to their body after they finally got rid of it? And so what had happened in the church in Corinth is people started to kind of syncretize to the the surrounding culture. Well, maybe he didn't really raise and maybe that's not exact same thing we do today. We do it for different reasons today, but we go, well, maybe it didn't. And maybe maybe it did, maybe it didn't. It doesn't matter. And so what we say is we try to kind of bring in the, the the thoughts of the day and try to make them fit and try to walk this line. And Paul says, that's crazy. It doesn't work if we do that. And so this morning, that's what I want us to think about is, is why the resurrection is so important why it all hinges on the resurrection that's our first question second how does jesus's death and then his resurrection deal with this problem that's so important and then lastly why is it so astoundingly wonderful when we get it right so so why is it so important how does the resurrection deal with these issues and then why is it so uh, astoundingly wonderful and so let's just start with why it's so important look at verses 13 to 19 again with me i'm going to read it just so it's right in the forefront of our mind as we think about this. So, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found even to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished and if in this life only we have hoped in Christ we are all of we are of all people most to be pitied and so he says a lot right there on why the resurrection is so important but I really want to focus you into one thing that he says right there in the middle and it's in verse 17. Right. Look at verse 17 and what he says. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Right. So our faith really means nothing. And here's why it he says. And you are still in your sins. And so I want us to think about that statement for just a minute, because to get why the resurrection, why bodily resurrection is so very important and it all hinges on that. We've got to understand what the opposite would be, which is we would still be in our sins. Right. That's Paul's reasoning. If Christ is not raised, we're still in our sins. And so to think about what that means, I want us to think about the extent of sin and think about it in a couple ways. And to do that, to help fill this in, I think Paul does this real well in Romans chapter eight. And so if you'll keep your finger in First Corinthians 15 and just flip back, Romans is one book to the left. You're just going back. If you're using the pew Bibles, like 10 pages, just flipping back a couple of pages. And I want to read you Romans uh, chapter eight, just a few verses. And there's two ways I want you to see this as we think about the extents of the sin. If we are still in our sin and one is personally our own sin and our own relationship with God and how that what that looks like if we're still in our sin. But then also universally all of creation, what it looks like to be still in our sin and it hasn't been dealt with. So those two ways. So look at Romans eight verses seven and eight to begin with for this personal side. Just just listen to what Paul says. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. When Paul talks about being set on the flesh, he's talking about being in our sin, right? Sin. And I've said this a lot. Sin is ignoring God and the world that he created. And so to be in our flesh means that we're self-centered. We're focused on us. We're ignoring God. And so when Paul says that uh, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, what he's really saying is for those that are still in their sin, you are hostile to God. And so he's explaining what it means to still be in our sin. And then he says, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so Paul says something huge here in what it means if we are still in our sins. And what what he's telling us is, is that we are hostile to God. We are at odds with God that we cannot please God that things between our relationship and between us and God is completely and totally broken. It's, it's been uh, severed. And he says, that's the picture that we have if we are still in our sins. And so the question becomes, why is that so important? Why does it all hang on the, the resurrection? And why is that so important? And, and we say this often and I say this a lot in the, in the picture is this, is that our deepest need And our highest calling in our life and what we are created for is to be in relationship with God. That's what you were made for. We've we've been talking a lot lately about uh, the catechism questions that we put in the bulletin and the different things. And we always go back to the very first one is what is our only hope in life and death? And it is that we are not our own. We belong to God. We were made for God's glory. We were made to be in relationship to him. We were made to focus and surround uh, everything orbits around him it 's all about him that 's the way you were made. And so what paul 's saying in Romans eight and what the implication is in, in First Corinthians 15 is that if Christ has not been raised, you are in your sin, and you are cut off from relationship with God. you can 't have it you 're at enmity with God, you 're hostile to God, you cannot please God, you're completely separated. And so the picture that Paul's painting, when you put those two together, is that if Christ has not been raised, it's a really bleak picture for us. We have been cut off from God and there's no way to get back. And so that's the picture that you see for us uh, personally. Right. The personal part of that. It's detrimental to our being. Right. If we are made. To focus on God and then that's cut off. It's kind of like God is the power source. And the closer we get to him, the more the fullness of life and joy and all the things that go with it. And the further we get away, the more it deteriorates and disintegrates. Right. And so what Paul's saying is if Christ has not been raised, then there's no hope of being restored and we're being cut off from it and things are unraveling. And so that's the picture, the personal part. But then look at Romans 8, look at verses 19 to 22, the universal part. All of creation, the effects of sin is so extensive. Listen to what he says for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so the picture I want to paint for you is it's not just about your personal relationship with God, although that is huge. Right. Man is made at the the top of God's creation. But but what we also see is that uh, sin's effects are in all of creation. All of creation is under the bondage to corruption and it's subjected to futility and it's groaning together in the pains of childbirth. And it's all around us. All things are unraveling because of sin in the world, because we ignore God and it's, it's made its way into everything. And I don't really feel like I have to work real hard to convince you of that. All you have to do is turn on the news. All you have to do is open your web browser to the whatever news page. I looked this morning and the first headline I saw was death toll in Syria 100,000. Right? That's, that's all you got to do is look at what's going around. Uh, I was sitting in the airport with my seven year old son Asher last Friday and we're sitting there and there on the news is children in India are dying because of tainted food. And he looked at me and goes, what? Why are they dying? Right? And I started you know trying to explain that. Because pesticides got mixed in with their food and they died. You see that everywhere. The bondage of corruption and the sin of the world is spread into all things. And it's and it's disintegrating and falling apart and all this. And so when we talk about if Christ is not raised and we're still in our sins, yes, it's us personally and we can't have a relationship with God, but it's all things. And in all ways, and it's disintegrating and falling apart and you see it everywhere. And so the, the picture of that, you know, Now some people will say when they hear that, they'll go, well, come on. But to make it about Jesus and about God and yes, there's bad things and things happen and it's all whatever. But to try to make it about God, that's that's a little ridiculous, isn't it? And, and they'll try to sweep that aside and say, that's not really the, the cause of it. And and that's not those things. But what, what I see a lot of times is is that uh, people will say that, but then they don't live that way. Right? right, we'll, we'll kind of brush it off to the side. But then the ways that we live, uh, the way our conscience bears witness, which Romans one talks about, is that we, we don't really live that way. We know there's something wrong, right? If if the, if the argument would go today, well, we've just evolved from nothing. It's all mere chance. We shouldn't even really be too worried about these things. Or it's just a chemical reaction that we even care that children are dying in India. But yet when you sit there and you see that, you are overwhelmed with grief when you see it. Our conscience bears witness that something's wrong. Or, or, or you do something uh, in your life. Maybe you're unfaithful to your spouse and then you're completely eaten up with guilt. I mean, if it's just a chemical reaction and it's just those things, you don't have those kind of feelings and, and overwhelming, you know that something is off. We, we know innately because God's law is written on our hearts and we know that and it's in us because we're made in his image and it's all through and uh, we, we see it in different ways. It's, it's like if you, uh, you, you hold a grudge to someone who's really wronged you, right? And you may be right. And they were really wrong. And so you hold on to that grudge and you harbor that and you keep it. And then it begins to eat you up on the inside. It begins to tear you down. And, it's, and the reasons are is because we're going against the very fabric of the way God's made things. Right? That's what sin is, ignoring what God has told us and who God is and the way he's revealed himself. And we do the opposite. And when we do, there's effects and we know it and we feel it and we see it in our lives. You know, uh, sometimes people uh, bad things will come into their life, and the question will become, "Why is this happening to me?" Right? Have you ever heard that before? Maybe you've said that before. What did I do to deserve this? Right? And 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 what's behind that question? A lot of times is that you know you've done things that aren't quite right. Right? That's, that's why we're asking the question because we know that I haven't lived my life quite perfectly. I know that I've I've made mistakes, and so it's in us and through us in all different ways. And then we try to deal with it in all different ways. We we try uh, to pretend our sin's not there. We try to hide parts of our life from other people. I don't want them to know that about me because what would they think? Right. The fact that we hide parts shows that we know parts are not quite right. Right. And so even if we deny what God says and what the Bible says, we don't live like it. Right. In our culture today, we see it in all different ways. What we then do is we redefine what sin is. Well, it used to be this was bad, but now we're all kind of okay with it. So that's no longer bad. And we start to move and we start to keep doing that. And then we compare. Well, that's really bad, but this isn't quite as bad. And we begin to do that and we do that all the time. We look at people. Oh, well, they're really they're really off over there and that's bad, but I'm okay. And we do that to make ourselves feel better. And we can all do that. But then it just even in a more practical way, we do that by gossiping. Right? If you ever talk about other people and what's going on with them and you're, you're kind of doing it a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times those conversations are born out of it makes you feel better. Right. Hey, did you hear what so and so did? Can you believe they did that? Right. And then then in your mind, you're going, well, I would never do that. And so it makes you feel better. It's a way to rationalize our sin. And we do that all the time to deal with it because we know there's something wrong. We know that we haven't lived up to God's standard. And so what happens, though, is we will deceive ourselves and we will pretend and we will push it to the side and we'll keep doing that and we'll keep doing that and we'll keep doing that. But here's the ends of this that we need to consider before we move on. Is, is when we do that and we view it in all these different ways and we minimize it and we hide it, the ends of this is, is this. It doesn't really matter how we view it. God is the one that decides. Sin is against God ultimately. Now, there are consequences to other people of our sin, absolutely. But sin in and of itself is ignoring God in his world. He's the one that decides. And so it doesn't matter if we kind of rationalize it or we change it or we try to compare it because God's law is perfect and it's absolute and it doesn't matter how we reinterpret it. He's the one that decides he's the creator. He's the one that holds all things together by the power of his word. He gets to decide. And so that's the picture that we have when we start to consider the fullness of if we are left in our sin, if Christ is not raised and there's no answer for it, we don't have anywhere to go. All we've got is these these manufactured ways that we try to deal with it, but none of those get us out of it. That's the the picture, right? God's law is perfect. And even when we deceive ourselves into thinking that God's law is perfect, but God's justice is perfect. And so sin has to be dealt with. No matter how much we try to sidestep it or rename it or redirect it or compare it, God's law is perfect and so is his justice. And so when we think about that, I want you just to think about this for a second. When we consider sin and we ask questions, most everyone I think here would agree that that murder is wrong. And so the question becomes, why is murder wrong? And, and you can ask the average person that and maybe you think what what your answer is. But biblically speaking, when we think about that, why is it wrong to kill? And the reason is God is the creator of life and he has made man in his image and he has said you don't do that. It's because God defines what that is, not what we think it is. Right. We like to make reasons and, and, and go around it and we put our spin on it. But it's God's law that says, right, we we don't do that because People are God's image bearers and we are to reflect who God is and God is loving and kind and merciful and all these. Things. And so we don't do that. Or, or the same question, became, why should we forgive? And some people go, oh, well, you forgive, you let go and it makes you feel better. That's absolutely true. That is if you hold on to it, it's going to eat you up. And so that is true. But ultimately, we forgive because God's forgiving. Because He's merciful. Because he defines it that way, because he's the one that said it. And so when we have to look back to why God says things are not why we do. Right. There's absolutes. And so that's the picture here. I want us just to think about all that, all the ways we try to deal with it, which don't really deal with it. The, the sin that is there, that is that is universal, that is personal, our relationship with God. All those things have not been dealt with and there's no way to deal with them if Christ is not raised. So that's that's the why this is so important. And so the question becomes, how does the resurrection deal with this? How does Jesus coming and living and dying and then being raised again deal with this? Look at verse twenty two. We're back to first Corinthians 15. You can flip back to first Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as then as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Right. And so the the picture is, biblically speaking, as we are all sinful, when we talk about the effects of sin, it's not those people over there, these people over here. It's all of us. All in Adam, that is all human beings, sin is imparted. It comes down to us. It's imputed to us. That's the biblical word, which means we get it when we're born. It's in us. We are born sinful and it's in us. And that's all of us. And so all in Adam, all humans are sinful. And so we all die because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. That's all of us. Right. And so that's what Paul is saying there in verse 22 for as in Adam, all die. But then he says, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And this is where we're coming to the importance of the resurrection and how it answers this question, right? That Christ has to come and he comes in and he takes on humanity. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us is not measured up and we know it. And then Christ says, I will come in and I will take on skin and I will come into to take on the fullness of humanity. And I will walk through this life and I will do it perfectly. I will stop the cycle. I'll keep it from going on and I'll and I'll change everything. Right. And so when Christ does that and he comes in and he lives this perfect life, he keeps God's law perfectly. He loves God. Perfect. He loves people perfectly. He does it all perfectly. And then he willingly says, I will go to the cross and I will lay down. I will take the wages of sin, but I'll take the wages of your sin upon myself and I'll do it for you. That's the heart of the gospel. And so Jesus comes and he does that. And, and, and what we do is sinful humanity is we kill him. We decide to hang him on a cross and, and, and uh, persecute him for a bunch of things that he didn't do. And we kill him. And then what happens, though, in the resurrection? And this is where we're getting to why it's so important. God reverses our mistaken sentence on Jesus. He says, no, that's not Right. And he raises Jesus from the dead. And in doing so, he says this sacrifice that is made on your behalf is now accepted and sin has been dealt with. And so there's the picture of why the resurrection is so very important, why it all hinges on the resurrection, because without it, sin hasn't been dealt with. We're still in our sins and we have no hope. And so when we try to kind of push it off, well, it doesn't really matter if Jesus was raised from the dead that is a lie from the pits of hell. That's what God wants. That's what I'm sorry. That's what Satan wants to trick people into believing. Oh, it's not really that important. You just follow Jesus example. If you follow Jesus's example, guess what? That's just going to reveal how sinful you are because you can't do it. And then you're still stuck. And so the picture here is that through the resurrection, Christ is raised and he's dealt with it. And God has accepted his uh Sacrifice on our behalf, the wages of sin is death, but then Jesus is raised back of life. And so it shows that the wages of sin doesn't have to be death. It can be life if we are in Christ and what he's done for us. And so I want us just to think for just a second how the resurrection, how that deals with our personal part, but also the universal part, because it's both. Right. I said at the beginning to see the extent of sin, we need to see our own relationship with God and how that's broken. But we also need to see how sin has affected all of the world. And so in Christ, he deals with both, right? You see that at the end of verse 22, he says, uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. All who are in Christ are now brought to life. You are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us you're dead in your trespasses and sins and Christ has raised you. But God, through his mercy, has brought you to life. And he's restored you to relationship with God. And now you can come directly to God because of what Jesus has done for you. And you have that completely and fully. And so your personal need to have relationship with God is open, wide open because of what Jesus has done. Jesus took on your sin and he paid for it and he opens it for you. And now you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Now you can please God because God is working in you and he's restoring you and he's doing all these things. And so all the negative that Paul talked about in the in, in the Romans, we uh, were hostile to God and we cannot please God and we can't know all those things are now undone because of what Jesus has done for us personally. But then there's the other side of it, of of all of creation. Right. I want you to think about this, why Christ comes in bodily and is raised bodily and comes back into this life earthly into it as a body. It's because God is saying, I'm going to redeem all of it. Yes, I want relationship with you. Yes, I want to restore you to God. But I'm coming for all my creation, not just people. I'm going to take all of it. Look at verses twenty four to twenty eight. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed His death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted. Who put all things in subjection under him? When all things are subjected to him, when the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. When Christ came and resurrected, It was the first fruits. It was the beginning that showing that God's coming back for all of it. He comes back bodily into this earth and in this life in a body in a resurrected physical body. Right. Thomas, touch me, feel that I'm real. I'm not just a figment. I'm a real physical body as Christ is raised. And what God is showing us and teaching us is that he's coming for all of it, all of his world. He's going to redeem all of creation and bring it all perfectly together. And it's not just the effects of us. You know, sometimes we think of it as our physical, our, our souls will be plucked out and we'll be flown off to heaven and it'll just be us with God. Right. But it's Jesus by coming bodily and then being raised bodily says, no, 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 I'm coming for all of it. I'm not leaving any of it undone. I'm coming to take every bit of it. And actually, we're going to we're going to look at that next week on our bodies and what that looks like and, and why it's all of it. And so what we get is Jesus deals with every part of it, the universal and the personal, all of creation and us in our relationship. And so that brings us just real briefly to the last part of of why this is so astoundingly beautiful when we get what God has done in Christ. Yes, it's our relationship, the personal. And I want you just to think about that for a minute, because so often we try to hide our sin and we try to rename it. And we try to downplay it, and we try to compare it, talk about other people's sin. We do all these things to try to get around it. But in Christ, in His resurrection, He says, No, I've done it. I've done all of it. You don't have to rename it. You don't have to pretend. You confess your sins, and I forgive you completely and totally, and it's done. God says, I love you as much as I will ever love you when you are in Christ. This moment you put your faith, He's got you completely. In all those ways that we try to deal with it and pretend like it's not there are wiped out. He says, you don't have to do that anymore. You can put your faith in me completely and you don't have to go through all those things because he's got you. And the proof is the resurrection. That's the proof that God's accepted Christ's sacrifice. So you don't have to do all those other things. You've now got him. You put your faith in him and you look to Jesus and that's it. And so God loves you today as if you are in Christ and you've put your faith in him, God loves you today as much as he's ever going to love you, which is completely and fully because of Christ and what he's done. But there's also the universal part, you know, right at the beginning, what Paul says is if, if if he hasn't been raised, we're to be pitied and those that have fallen asleep have perished and there's no hope. Right that's what he says at the beginning. He says there's no hope for any of us if Christ hasn't been raised. But since he has, what that means is there is a hope that is so much greater than anything you can possibly imagine. He's undone it and he's shown us and the resurrection is the proof that he's coming to redeem all things. He's going to set it all right completely and totally and the resurrection's the proof. It's just the beginning. It's just the very beginning part that he says, look, look what I'm going to do. I'm coming to redeem all of it. And so the, the effects of sin, when we see those things and we see what's going on in the world, the resurrection shows us that God has not forgotten and that he's coming to reclaim all things, all things. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the beauty of the power of the resurrection. We thank you that you loved us. So much, even in our sins, that you were willing to come to us, that you were willing to come and live the life that we couldn't live and lay your life down for us, that you could redeem, that you could reclaim your good creation. And we thank you. We thank you for grace upon grace, the way that you just lavish us with your mercy. And we thank you for that. We pray this morning that as we just finish in our time, that we would we would lift our voices, that we'd be overwhelmed by the beauty of the power of the resurrection and what you've done for us, that you are willing to lay your life down and that 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 sacrifice was accepted and that you are going to reclaim all things. We thank you for the glorious hope that we have that is in Christ and we pray it in his precious name. Amen.